Good afternoon. My name is Sharad Agarwal. I am the CEO of Cybergear and the founder of OnlyWebinars.com. I want to welcome you to today's webinar where we'll be talking about uh, hybrid events, how you can activate your hybrid event strategy, and how you can scale events for obtaining a stronger ROI. I think this is a topic uh, that is very relevant in present times. There have been enough studies, uh, you know, post-COVID from Gartner, Deloitte, McKinsey, and they all say the common, you know, stuff, which is that digital acceleration is happening at pace we have never seen before, and that future of events is hybrid. So those are given scenarios, um, and we want to now have a conversation on this topic with our speaker, Shri Keith, who is the director of strategy and research at ON24. She's been doing webinars even before we knew what webinars were. So welcome, Shay, to today's uh, webinar. We are looking forward to hearing from you. And also, I want to introduce to you Ankit Sagar. He's the vice president sales for ON24, who looks after the Middle East uh, region and Africa. And he has over 15 years of experience in the enterprise software and technology space. So welcome, Ankit, to today's session. Thank you, Sharad. And uh, just addressing the audience on the format that we are going to have today. So Sherry will be presenting to us first for about 30 minutes on the topic. And uh, then Ankit will take over in terms of uh, addressing all the questions that you might have. And so let's uh, start with Sherry, over to you. And please educate us. Looking forward to hearing from you. Awesome, thank you for that introduction and nice to be on today's webinar. As Sherrod kind of joked, yes, I do a lot of webinars, um, but I've also been researching events, whether those be physical events or digital events and even hybrid events, those were a thing, um, even pre-pandemic for about six years before I joined On24 and I have a, a practitioner career before that. So I spend the majority of my time working with different marketers and people who are trying to drive engagement with the audiences that they serve. But I just wanna ground ourselves in what a hybrid event actually is. And I say this because this word has become incredibly buzzy over the past 18 months or so. And really at its core, a hybrid event means that you'll have audiences in disparate locations. So some that will be at a physical location that is hosted as well as people virtually like we are here today. But what that really means is that there is not a singular event construct that makes it a hybrid event. Really hybrid is just a new delivery mechanism for the experiences that we're building for our audiences. And I say that because I get a lot of questions that say, tell me how to do a hybrid event, but there's not exactly a hybrid event in a box that we can share. It's really about understanding the audiences that you're marketing or selling to and designing experiences for them that is really aligned to how they want to consume information. Now, the data I'm going to share with you today came from research that we did with Heinz Marketing, and we interviewed about two or just over 200 marketing executives and event executives about what they think about hybrid, what the future is from a digital perspective, and how that kind of marries up with their overall event goals. 
And what we found through this research was um, some gaps in the way that people are thinking about events today and how they're going to be planning for them in the future. It is October already. We are already in full swing when it comes to 2022 planning, which is kind of frightening to say, but one of the things that's really interesting is that these executives prioritized hybrid events as being really good from the perspective of capturing data. But if you marry that up with how they would actually execute on it, we saw some pretty significant gaps in that a, a lesser percentage of people actually have the tools or technology in place in order to take advantage of that data. These systems are still being run in silos, which is a traditional, I would say, problem that we saw in the physical event industry of those technology systems not being integrated into marketing and sales systems. But we need to see this number rise if people are actually going to deliver on the promise of hybrid events, driving pipeline and capturing more data. We need to get that data out of those systems and then into your marketing automation platform, your CRM systems, and also making sure that you're making that data available to sales at the end of the day. It can't just live off in a silo. Um, it's really important that we start to see those numbers uh, rise so that we can actually deliver on that promise. Now, one of the other gaps we also saw was actually looking at the, the strategic element to it. So I started today's session by sharing with you that we need to get out of our heads that hybrid is a singular event type. But when we think about what that means, from a planning perspective, and we know events um, managers are really great planners, is that 40% of people reported that they were going to create a new strategy for their virtual event mix. That's a, a good sign, right? We've been doing virtual events, um, many people for many years, of course, but have had a really strong focus on it for the past year or so. And people are thinking about, okay, we need to refresh and renew that to make sure that we're keeping audiences engaged. But the gap that we saw is that we saw a lesser percentage of people reporting that they would be creating a new strategy for hybrid events. Now, this is something that definitely needs to move up. If you're going to be successful in planning and executing hybrid events, it is going to take um, not only a new look at how you do those experiences, but remaining on your feet and remaining agile to what the changes are. Uh, I think especially as we've seen different types of rollouts of physical events over the past several months, there have had to be some that get pulled back. And if you're planning a hybrid event, you're going to need to take into account how audiences are feeling at that moment, what the local restrictions are, as well as whether or not uh, attendees are able to travel on their company dime. So there's a lot that goes in here, but I really think we need to evaluate and approach hybrid with the same rigor as we would with any new delivery mechanism for an audience. The other item that was really interesting in while we were doing this research is that we saw a lot of people nodding their heads that virtual events could contribute significantly to pipeline. But when we asked that follow-up question of how people were actually measuring that, so what, how are you looking at it? Are you looking at it from opportunities created, leads generated, MQLs? We saw a, le a lesser percentage, right? A pretty strong amount, 30 percentage points plus here, of people saying that they actually are measuring it. 
So we have a lot of people saying virtual events are great for pipeline, but there's a pretty significant gap of people who are saying it, but aren't actually doing it. So I think this also gets back to one of the original data points that I shared, which is making sure that your event technologies are synced in with your marketing and sales system as really being a priority for you so that you can track the results of your efforts. Uh, I think that's certainly a critical item here. Now, the next part of this, and I get a lot of questions about uh, digital fatigue and thinking about what engaging experiences are. And one thing that we've learned, I will say, and this isn't necessarily in this presentation here today, but it's part of um, a lot of the benchmarking research I do, is that people like to show up for events. They want to connect with other people like you're here all today, but we need to find ways to make sure that these events are engaging for people. Um, like, you know, we're, we're going to be doing a Q&A today. We have a lot of other content available for you. But when we look across the board, we see a lot of people who aren't taking advantage of all the different ways that you can engage audiences. So over 50% of people are saying that they're not taking questions from audiences. Um, people aren't necessarily making sessions available on demand. Now, this is something I feel really passionately about is because if someone registers for your event and they're not able to show up at that time, it could be for a variety of reasons and probably not one where they weren't interested in that content anymore. It could be um, a, a meeting with your boss, something happens at work or something happens in your personal life. You have to get the dog out, um, you know, kid has a fever and you have to go pick them up at school. There's a lot of reasons why a set point in time might not work for someone. So offering them that content on demand needs to be a best practice. And I know that's one that uh, Sherrod is doing here today, of course, as well. But I think that's really important. It also gets to this idea of learning styles, I will say. Um, one data point that I like to track is this overlap of people who will show up to a live event but then we'll also go back and watch it on demand. So on demand just isn't for people who didn't show up on that day. A lot of people um, you know, might've gotten distracted during your event, I hate to say, or uh, just the way they ingest information is they need a little extra time with it. So making it available on demand isn't just for people who didn't show up, it's for people who want to learn more. And what better of a buying signal is if you have someone who showed up for the live event and then goes back and watches it on demand as well. And the last part is we're not seeing, or I should say, at physical events, we would never dream of hosting them without our counterparts in, sale being, in sales being available, right? Um, we all remember, and I know you're, you're probably closer to it than I, uh, the booth meetings, making sure sales knows what's to do, how we use the lovely badge scanners. Sales is a critical component to doing our events, but we're seeing a lesser percentage of people actually having sales available to support digital events. Um, and this is something that definitely has to change, especially as we think about hybrid, making sure that the sales team isn't just there at the, the physical experience, but also making sure that the audience members who are joining in a virtual way are getting that same level of support from your sales team. So I share all of that within the context of what that means really for the future of events. And I feel really strongly that not every event of the future 
will be hybrid. I think like I started off the session saying hybrid is just going to be a new type of delivery mechanism for our digital experiences. And what's actually going to be more hybrid or more mixed, I should say, is our event mix of the future. We're going to have experiences that are physical only, digital only, as well as hybrid. And the real secret sauce for marketing and events leaders will be how they calibrate the mix of those three in order to create scale and reach as many people as possible. And the reason why that's so important is because buying continues to become more complex. And I'm sharing some research here from Forrester, formerly Serious Decisions, that is some of the best data out there that really evaluates how B2B buyers are actually buying. It's not just looking at the marketing perspective, it's saying, what did you value as you went through a purchasing process? And one thing that we've seen, and actually even if we jumped in our time machines and went back to 2013 through 2019, we saw the average number of interactions that buyers consumed on their journey staying between 13 and 17. I think we had a dip of 11 at some point in that decade. That's it. But in just this two-year period from 2019 to 2021, we saw that rise significantly. So when Forrester recently did this research, they found that buyers were consuming nearly 58% more interactions than they had two years prior. And an interaction means a, a consumption of content that they had, whether that be a meeting with your company or research that they're doing on their own online, talking with a peer, attending a networking event. So this is really about their journey. And it increased dramatically across the board. And this is across like over a thousand B2B buyers that they actually interview for this. That's significant to see this jump over a two-year period. And I say that as... Um, anyone who's really involved in marketing on this webinar knows it's not getting easier for us. Um, but I also can't guarantee that you could show this to your CEO or your CEO, CMO, excuse me, and say, all right, because of this increase, I need 58% more marketing budget. That's not going to happen. So what we actually need to make sure that we're doing is doing more with what we have today and moving away from marketing tactics that are very singular or point in time to ones that can live on more in an evergreen fashion, but also have enough opportunities within them for people to accelerate their journey and take in more interactions at any given point in time. So with that, I'm thinking about it from this perspective of events here today is event was a point in time anomaly, especially, you know, seven years ago, you showed up to an event, you got an email afterwards. Uh, you, maybe your suitcase came home with a lot of stuffed animals from going through the uh, participant booths. But really, even if there was a quote unquote hybrid event, it was just a stream online and that digital audience didn't really get a lot. But that isn't going to work with the way that B2B buying is happening and the way marketing budgets are happening. So I'm thinking about it from the perspective of really being about the entire experience. You're still going to have probably this point in time 
option, but we have multiple channels at our disposable, multiple offers of content, and multiple opportunities for calls to action that are going to allow people to um, carry on with their journey because we know they're doing more research than ever. So we need to make sure that we're not trying to funnel everyone into one specific road that's gonna to have too much traffic on it. It's about the diversification of the opportunities we give people to consume more interactions on their own time and with the appropriate information. So I think this is really um, kind of the crux of how we need to be thinking about it and not just doing events for events sake. I think no one has the budget to do that anymore, especially over the past 18 months. So it's really thinking about what that means from that experience perspective. And there being what I consider um, these five core parts that you put into every experience that you're building for your audience. Um, my daughter likes, I used to have this slide set up like a layered approach. And she was like, you should definitely talk about it from the perspective of cake. And I'm like, I can't make a five layer cake. So I don't know where she got that idea in her head. But, um, you know, if we think about it at the start, certainly that delivery mechanism through which we're delivering that experience is critically important. Today, we're on a webinar. But from that experience, we also need to think about the content that we're providing to someone. So separating those two ideas out. And I say this because not every webinar has to have slides. Um, I think my marketing team knows I try to do as few slides as possible right now. That was my 2021 goal, and I'm not sure I've achieved it. Um, but as you're building out that experience, you need to be thinking about you know, how we're going to actually engage someone once they arrive to your experience. And this is something that has definitely been a digital afterthought. People aren't always using Q&A like we're using today. They might not be using polling technologies. They might not have sales on hand to answer questions. So making sure that as you're building out these experiences, you're being very prescriptive and including how you're going to engage someone once they show up. Uh, the goal isn't just to get someone to show up, it's to get them to show up and engage with you. And then separate from that, thinking about how you want someone to leave a session. What are the calls to action you want to leave someone with? How can we make sure that people can go on with their journey, continue with their research? And calling that out specifically different from those four other items I mentioned, or those three other mentioned items I mentioned before is really important. Because it's the combination of how someone engages with you during a session and then how they're choosing to leave that experience through a call to action. That's really the marketing and sales goal. That's the buying signals on the left-hand side here. And being able to use the experiences you're creating and making sure that they have the appropriate sensors set up through them, the sensors being engagement techniques and calls to action, so that you can take in those signals, ingest them, and then work with marketing and sales to make sure that we can properly nurture and provide information to those audiences so that they can carry on with their journey and that we're not missing an opportunity to do something for someone. Of course, if someone is showing up to one of the experiences you're creating and they're saying, I want to talk to sales, you shouldn't wait a week for that conversation to happen. It's about moving and acting on those buying signals in the right way. And that's important because we can also have uh, 
data overload in marketing, I would say, um, you know, show, showing up to an event is certainly one type of signal, but is it a signal that you need to uh, drop everything you're doing and act on? Probably not. So it's about prioritizing the signals that you're hearing so that you can work with sales in the right way as well. So with all of that, um, those that was the, the presentation I was looking to share with the audience today. Um, I know Sherrod might wanna start to field some questions now, um, but I've definitely enjoyed my time here today and hope we can continue this dialogue. Yeah, thank you, Shri. I know you have to uh, run for another meeting. Uh, that was useful. I'm going to continue the conversation with Anke. And I'll see you on the other side, uh, Sherry. Thanks a lot for your presentation and for being here today. Of course. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thanks. Take care. Uh, right, Ankit, uh, I have a couple of questions that have come in uh, from the audience. And I have one of my own that I want to start with. Uh, you know, recently I was doing a webinar with a speaker from the US. And uh, he told me that webinars are now. 90% radio and 10% television, meaning people are attending webinars while they are doing other stuff. They are basically listening in and not necessarily watching the presentation. Do right. you get that same sense? Yes. So we, I mean, this is an interesting point. I think, I think it also goes back to what Sheree is saying, right? Like, how can you make um, a passive audience into a more active audience, right? And I think one of the things we, we pride ourselves is, you know, having engagement, which is built in within the platform. Um, and that means is, you know, if you just have like an audio content going on and sort of like a video going on, yes, of course, there's 10 other things. But I think how do you bring out an engagement? I think people need to start thinking about Stuff like, are they doing polling at the same time? Are they actually linking in social media at the same time? Are they actually engaging the audiences by way of surveys, right? So if you are sort of fueling in these continuous engagement points, what you're actually doing is you're sort of building in data by the interactions and the interactivity the audience is doing. Um, and I think that is where, you know, again, I'm a little bit biased towards on 24, but the strength really comes in from about the 20 engagement points or 30 engagement points that we can provide. Now, you've got to look at the audience depends on, you know, if you have more marketing people on the call versus salespeople on the call or, you know, HR or finance, whatever divisions you're targeting, you can really customize the subset in terms of bringing the most out of most engagement rather than just having an audio and sort of like the video element with it. So we highly encourage people to sort of have minimum five to six engagement points throughout the, throughout the webinar. Right, and that brings me to the next question. We have a few event organizers in the room. Uh, so are there some tips you wanna share about ON24 that works well for event organizers when they are planning their virtual events? Yeah, and is this, uh, should I, can, I mean, should I dissect this in two parts? One is like the hybrid and the non-hybrid part. Sure, yeah. So on the non-hybrid part, which has been going on for, you know, which has been going on for a while now, I think the, some, of the core, uh, some of the core things is planning. Um, planning in terms of when do you want to deliver the event, what time you want to deliver the event, which is pretty common, but I think a lot of people try to do webinars as an example or sort of like digital content or email marketing content Tuesday at sort of like between nine and 10. 
right? So I think no surprise, but almost like, you know, 50 to 60% of the people try to communicate exactly at the same time. So the chances of your content on top of their inbox is actually diminished, right? And so is, you know, cold calling, all the, all the marketing and sales tactics happen around that time, right? So I think you've got to be looking at the benchmarks. Um, if you've got historic data, great. If not, then, you know, look at some of the benchmarks that we produce, which is sort of like industry standard. And you, you sort of categorize, okay, you know, I want to have an event, you know, have you thought of running an event in the afternoon, right? Have you thought of running, I mean, something that we're doing today, have you thought of running an event on a Monday versus a Friday, right? So those are like Mondays and Fridays tend to be light days, but also, do you have an on-demand strategy behind it? If you must, and the speaker's only available at let's say 10 a.m. on a Tuesday, do you have an on-demand strategy behind it, right? We know that about 30 to 40% audiences do come on on-demand. So I think planning the event, not only for live audiences, which is very, very essential because you get the live engagement data, but also on an on-demand audience, which is also likely be highly engaged, right? Because people want to be multitasking. They want to access content where they are, wherever, and whenever they want to access content. So I think that planning becomes a must when you run sort of like the non-hybrid events. On the hybrid, um, hybrid chart, what we're starting to look is very interesting data that's coming out. I think back in the days, what people were doing is if I'm running an event in a physical location, let's say, and especially very common in, in sort of the pharma, the financial services world, the terminology of hybrid was, okay, I'm going to stream it for the attendees which are in the room, and I'm going to stream it for the attendees which are remote. Right. And that was kind of like the classification of hybrid. And now if you go to Sheree's presentation was all about, you know, engaging people, not only people who are in the room, right? Yeah. Every all the efforts going to go into this catering, there's this, there's sort of like, you know, there's sort of breakout room in the room, et cetera. But are you thinking about an online audience? And some of the examples that we are doing and we're encouraging our client base to do is if you have a speaker on site, right? After the session is over, get him on sort of like a separate meeting room, stream that part as well live so that the remote audiences are engaged, right? right. Yeah. There's wealth of knowledge sitting there. Or if there are a group of speakers who are coming, can you actually, while, you know, while there's sort of like multiple sessions are going on, can you actually make a session which is only geared towards an online audience, right? right. Mm -hmm. And then the reverse as well. So when you're doing a polling, are you sure that not only the remote audiences are engaged on polling, but also physical audience, which are in room, which are engaged? So using mobile and sort of like these iPads and all those tablets, I think that's a very engaging way of both engaging the remote and the physical audiences. So just think about the yeah. remote audience as well yeah. when you think about hybrid. Yeah. Uh, so Rajiv Daswani has a question. He wants to know if on-demand refers to audience that actively registers and wants to be there. Is that the purpose of on-demand webinars? Yeah. So there's two kinds. That's a great question, actually. So there, what we're think, what we're starting to look at is two kinds of audience, right? One is pure play people who don't want to miss out on the content and they want to be registered so that they do get notification that this content will be available on demand, right? So it's just yeah. like, you know, this sort of like sense of losing out on some great topic. I think that's one. Um, the other subset is for people who want to revisit that content because there's a lot of content, even when Cherie is presenting now, I think it's great to take in some of the information, but you really have to think, how does that work? How does that translate into your own business, 
right? So you might want to revisit a part of the webinar, not the whole section. So both, I think registration equaling people who have not been able to make it and also registration for people who have been able to make it but want to revisit the content, both. Right, yeah. So what I find is because we are doing almost two, three webinars every week, I have a lot of people who are saying, you know, because you're going to send me a recording anyways, why do I have to uh, show up uh, you know, on that given uh, date and time. So doesn't it cut both ways? As in some people are not attending anymore because they know they can watch in their own time a recording later. So uh, do you have any statistics on how that plays for people who are organizing webinars to make sure that, you know, the live audience is there? Yeah, I mean, this is, again, it's an interesting topic of discussion. I mean, how we see the market today is, I think it's about the content being available 24 seven, right? You've seen the rise of sort of like Netflix, Amazon Prime, all the other video communication channels which are putting content out there. I think there's, there's always a debate of, you know, do I really want to interact live versus I can just do it in my own time? I think what you have to bear in mind is nothing beats a live session. Right. Because the, the yeah. it, think about it like a sport event, the thrill of, you know, watching something live of, you know, you know, something, you know, a team win or lose is that's a sheer joy. Um, yeah. But also you can get your I mean, questions answered straight away. I think that's another plus point you can take. You can be a part of the live interactivity and interaction going on. The on demand is equally important. Right. We don't so sort of like in our world, we don't miss on the on demand interactions. Right. But the ability of asking question and when it might be answered might take 24 hours, might take 40 hours, 48 hours. Right. So you do lack that. But I think the whole push is towards making both the audiences as engaged as possible, whether it's live or on demand, because, you know, people might have commitments, et cetera, going on at the same time, which is why going back to the benchmark, yeah. just think about creative ways in terms of delivering the event on certain dates and times. Right. Um, also, I'd like you to uh, address the audience in terms of who is on 24, how long you've been in business, who are some of the major clients in terms of multinationals who use the platform, and why you stand out from rest of the crowd. So uh, take your time, but I'm sure the, the audience <laughs> wants to know uh, more about on 24. And of course, I will update them in terms of... Uh, you know, the features uh, that help you stand out vis-a-vis -vis so many other platforms that are out there. But give a brief background of the company, your strengths, and uh, maybe one or two case studies of some of your major clients. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's basically my full-time job, right? Like pitching right. and uh, elevator pitches and so on. So mm -hmm. yeah, no, great question. Um, in, in terms of On24, look, we're, we're San Francisco born 20 years plus in, in the making. We've been doing, you know, we did start, as I say, you know, in, in the whole webcasting world. And there's been, you know, over the course of 20 years, there's been a lot of sort of like terminology changes and how people are sort of accessing communication. So we did start in the webcasting world, then sort of went into the webinar world as well. And now we've uplifted ourselves into sort of like, you know, the whole digital engagement thing. So it, the communication channels, we're not really thinking of limiting it to webinars only because I think what we started is all the conversations we've had, right? There's hybrid, there is sort of like live, there's on demand. And again, you can categorize into, as you said, you know, there's video, there's kind of like, you know, all these, all these competing assets, like how do you cope up? So I think we classify ourselves now as a digital engagement platform, right? 
one of the strongest elements that we have today is the analytics, right? If you can't predict based on human engagement, what data are you driving behind the content that you're delivering? It's almost like meaningless doing something, right? Like, I mean, YouTube, for example, is a great platform and it's, it's really engaging, but you almost like get views on it, right? But you don't really know, you know, has that guy just left it and has he gone or has that person sort of made, you know, any comments? You probably look at the comments later on and so on. But think about this way. If I need to know a buyer and I need to know, like, is this, is this person really engaged? Is he right for, you know, our company? And is he the right person in terms of a buying decision? Should I be targeting him now, six months later, 12 months later, or should I put in the nurture cycle? So in order to get that valuable data, that's a strength, right? And I think I mentioned um, prior to uh, as a, one of the first question, which is all about engagement. Using the engagement tactics that, you know, we provide, it becomes a very powerful analytics and a data source that you can sort of drive and sort of know where the buyer journey is focused on top of the funnel, mid funnel or buying cycle. Yeah. Would you like to tell us about some of the clients that are using your platform globally? Yeah. So we have a variety. Um, we essentially work in four to five core core segments. Um, we have information technology, which is always leading the way. We have financial services, which is thriving now on digital communication. We have pharma, which was a bit slow to update a few years back, um, but now it's like one of our fastest growing segments. You have manufacturing, which is also historically manufacturing was all about, you know, like we don't really need to do digital communication, but I think, you know, they kind of like that vertical fell left out in terms of what was happening. Um, and then you have professional services as well. And a great examples I can use is, you know, in the pharma world, we see GSK, um, Glaxo, uh, SmithKline. So they have a very, very robust. Now, their, their, per, their perception is not only about generating leads, um, but it's also about educating the market, right? So if they're launching something or they're sort of, you know, within the healthcare professional world, they're taking that out and they're starting to talk to sort of these healthcare professionals. It's all about education in the market as well, which is really, really core for them. And they have a program, I mean, upwards of, you know, some few hundred webinars that are going on all the world. And they segment it really well. They've got different times. They've divided, they've divisionalized it, you know, what works for the Middle Eastern audience, what works for sort of the African audience, the European and the American audience. So a very robust, but they've matured over time, right? Several years of working with On24. Um, the other example we have is we work with um, TCS quite extensively in the tech, in the tech world. And they're sort of gearing up and, you know, his previously TCS startup consultancy services was putting a lot of effort in terms of physical events, right? Um, and just prior to COVID, they start thinking very aggressively on sort of like not only webinars, but a holistic digital media strategy. Um, and now they're sort of embracing the whole hybrid, the sort of the live, the on-demand, and bringing magnitudes of magnitude of digital media assets together for their clients. Again, they, their purpose, the end goal is, of course, um, you know, lead gen and demand generation, but also advocacy in the market, right? Which is more around thought leadership. So we see, I think, sure, just to sum it up, I think the core themes revolve around education, thought leadership, lead generation, demand generation, right? which seem to be the, the basis of the conversation or panel discussions, financial services. We, we see something like head to head conversations, you know, two fund managers coming 
sort of debating on, you know, on, I don't know, issues like, you know, Brexit or something which are taking place in the UK. So yeah, I think it, they kind of use it as an online TV channel as well. So we're seeing another uptake on this. Yeah, what I also want to add to what you said is I see webinars as a great way of, uh, uh, you know, reaching global audiences. And I'll give you an example. Last evening, we organized a webinar uh, with the organization based in the US. And we had six panelists. Uh, they were in Los Angeles, New York, Milan, Singapore, Dubai, and Australia. Uh-huh. Right? So before webinars uh, started happening, these conversations were not possible, right? right. It was almost impossible. And now uh, on a weekly basis, we have uh, like yesterday's webinar, there were people from 62 countries who had registered. Unheard of 18 months back, right. we could never have imagined that as a possibility. That's one example I wanted to share with the audience. So if you want to go global, this is, the cost-effective way of doing it. And another case study, if I may, I recently connected with uh, Jim Lippens out of Belgium, who's hosting a World Happiness Conference in December. So he's doing the largest one for Europe uh, this year in December. And in the next two years, he wants to go truly global. So in all continents, he'll be having live events, all connected with some kind of a live streaming happening. And this was unthinkable of just a few months back. So I think uh, organizations need to think beyond borders, beyond geographies, and they can truly uh, leverage, uh, you know, the digital media, so to say, and build a brand and grow their business. So um, on that note, I want to, um, I don't have any more questions from the audience. So um, I want to tell our audience that uh, a recording of this uh, webinar will be available in a couple of hours, also with a podcast. So just uh, check in on onlywebinars.com. You can pick it up from there. And also we are having a few uh, more interesting webinars uh, early next week. So please register for those and stay in touch with us. Time for me to sign off and thank you, Ankit. Uh, for your contribution. Thank you uh, for having me. to a uh, yeah, long relationship with you. And uh, we will see you on the other side. So, Sounds good. Yeah, thank you, audience. Uh, thank you, audience. We'll, we'll yes. stay in touch, yeah. All the best and stay safe. Thanks, everyone. Bye for, 